Hello and welcome to the Build with Clay podcast. I am your host, Clay Davis. This podcast is designed to introduce you to people from across the world who have one thing in common. They want to grow in their life and inspire others. You'll get a front row seat to hear about how they define their mindset and their purpose. We'll unearth their habits, their failures, and learnings throughout their journey. And this will allow you to take those habits, those failures, and those learnings and apply them to your personal growth journey, no matter where you're trying to build yourself and grow. This podcast is designed for you, so thank you for being here. Prepare to meet interesting people, hear fun stories, learn something new, and plan to leave inspired. Welcome to the Dad Pod. In this episode, we welcome two guests, Ryan Denny and Lauren Morse, to chat about being a dad. Each of us are in a different phase of fatherhood. Lauren has three kids in their 30s, including my lovely wife. I have three kids under seven, and Ryan has a two-month-old. So we chat about how our lives have changed becoming dads, what surprised us, and how we support our partner, ourselves, and the child along the way. And of course, there's a few incredibly hilarious dad jokes. Enjoy. Really proud to have you guys on the pod. All three of us are in very different chapters of our dad life. And this specific conversation was born from a conversation I had with a listener who said, this could be really fun. Other podcasts do it. And it could be a informative episode too. I know that we aren't experts, but I know we'll all share our experiences in the hopes that current dads, future dads can relate and maybe even get some timely advice as we all have many people in our life who are going to be dads soon. We're going to start with our favorite dad joke. I think you guys have heard this one before. It's my six-year-old's favorite joke to say. What did the fish say when they ran into a wall? Damn. Uh, there it is. That gets either extreme laughter from other parents or <laughs> judging laughter from other parents. Heathens. Well, here's one for, uh, for Hayes and Walker. Where do polar bears keep their money? I don't think I'm like ice cap. Like what? Uh, you're you're on the right track. Bank, bank, polar. The uh, mm, where? Snow banks. <laughs> dad jokes. That's the perfect dad laugh there, Ryan. <laughs> and the new dad, Ryan Denny. How how old's Joe now? Eight weeks. Joe is eight weeks. Eight and a half weeks. Looks like Love he it. is about eight months. Yes, at this at this stage of their uh, life, we go in half weeks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. How many days old is he? <laughs> That's right. How many minutes? Fifty-nine to sixty. <laughs> yeah, it's somewhere in there. Yeah, there you yeah. go. So, so you got sixty days to think of a dad joke. What you got? Yeah. So. I'll start by saying, I think the best dad jokes are off the cuff. Cause that's when you can really kind of dig into the corny levels. But, uh, I took a informal, uh, questionnaire with Benita's family who was in and asked if anybody had any good dad jokes. And my favorite of the bunch was why did the old man fall into the well? I'm blanking. Because he could not see that well. <laughs> And the the sigh laughter. <laughs> yeah, I would agree with you, Ryan, that uh, my type of dad joke is typically a bad pun or wordplay, and it happens spontaneously. We were playing golf Saturday. Anybody that's played golf with me knows that I don't really see the ball that well, despite expensive eye surgery. And... Um, I, I hit a tee shot on 17. It was, you know, I felt like I hit it pretty good, but I didn't see where it went. And one of the other guys said, oh yeah, it went towards that smoke. There was somebody across uh, the, through the fairway that was burning a pile of leaves. And I said, so you're saying I smoked it. <laughs> the groan. But the groan, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's a proper dad joke. It's awful, but it's great. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's what you get. And then a life with, uh, being a dad, you get plenty of good stories. 
Ryan, again, eight weeks in, 60 days in, what's your favorite dad story so far? One of my favorites, really, it's just, I think, kind of a metaphor for parenting. But when we went to the hospital the day that Benita gave birth, um, you know, you go in and you're so excited about the baby and, you know, that's 99% of your thoughts. But I remember leaving for the hospital thinking, I should probably wear like a cool looking shirt or pullover today because there's going to be a lot of pictures taken. So very vain of me, admittedly, but um, I go in and literally the first time he gets on me because we uh, were about to change his diaper. So he doesn't have any clothes on. I lift him up to hand him back before we change the diaper. And I realize that there is shit all over me. And I thought, I think this is parenting. It, it was like I was introduced and I still believe that's parenting. It's great. It's wonderful. But sometimes you get shit on. Um, so I think was, we could just end the pod now. Yeah. Yeah. yeah pretty much wraps literally, it up. Literally and figuratively. Um, yeah. I'll just go with that one. What shirt was it? Uh, it was my hound ears pullover. I got when we were playing golf. Oh, that's a nice shirt. So I want you to think about that the next time I'm wearing it tied at your house and your kids are on me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Wells, my seven-month-old, peed on me like a week ago. That was awesome. Get shit on, peed on. Like you said, it's part of it. story that comes to mind for me, I just like I know Lauren has just oodles of these types of stories, but I was trying to think of one that involved all three of my kids. Whitney was at book club. This was probably three or four months ago. So I had all three kids. It was one of the first times that I had all three kids for like more than an hour. And I was responsible for basically bedtime for all three of them. And that included feeding Wells a bottle. And so Wells and I are sitting in a dark room. I tell the older two boys, Hayes and Walker, I said, Hey guys, like I got to feed Wells. You guys have been through this routine before. You guys have fun, play, be kind, and just be ready for bed when I get out. And what being ready for bed is, is basically you have your PJs on. So they knew I was going to be out of it for 15 minutes. So I was sitting in the dark room, white noise is just blaring and feeding wells and like five minutes go by. And then I hear, I see like the light emerge from the door and Hayes comes in. And he's like, daddy, Walker's not getting his PJs on. I said, I kind of like brushed him off. I was trying to really concentrate on Wells. I brushed him off. So he leaves. I said, I was just kind of telling him like, it's okay. Like worry about yourself. So then two minutes go by, Walker walks in. He is butt ass naked. So he does not have his PJs on. And I'm like, I'm kind of like just shooing him away. Like Walker, like go do your thing. Hayes walks in again, two minutes later. And he's really upset. He's like, daddy. Walker won't get his PJs on. He's trying to like whisper, but when a kid whispers, he's not really whispering. He's just talking in a different tone at the same volume. <laughs> and I said, dude, just let it go. Like I finally, I spoke up. I was like, dude, just let it go. I'll be out in a minute. So Wells finishes up about five minutes later, place him in his crib. And he's, you know, he's, he's happy, fat and happy. I open the door to the landing of the hallway and I see Hayes on the ground, laying on the ground with his PJs on, grasping Walker's ankles, who is butt naked still, attempting to crawl, army crawl into Hayes' room. And they both turn around and look at me. And Hayes goes, Dad, I tried. I just couldn't let it go. <laughs> and I just took all of me to not lose it in that moment. But those are the stories that I just, I know I'll always look back on and love. Yeah. I was trying to think of something that involved all three as well. I mean, there's plenty of good, you know, memories from vacations and uh, you know, involving everybody, but also individual memories involving athletics in their, you know, their childhood sports careers. You know, your kids are too little to critique this mine or not <laughs> <laughs> and i bet Therefore, they would <laughs> yeah you know uh, i would expect them to give it a listen to see what dad had to say uh so 
yeah, can't pick out any individual story at this point, but maybe something will come up uh, throughout the uh, pod. Yeah. We'll kind of get into what I termed the first topic around surprises. I think that there's a lot of surprises when you become a dad. Uh, the question I get the most is like, what surprised you most? And so that's, that's the first question I'll send out there. What's, what surprised you most about becoming a dad? I'll let you go first this time, Lauren. Okay. Yeah. I was going to say, uh, how hard it is, how, uh, relentless it's 24 seven, you know, it, um, those aren't negative things that relentless maybe sounds like it has a negative connotation, but I mean, it's just, it's life changing obviously. And then boom, you've got this human, this little thing who is 100% dependent on you to uh, care for it. And that was, I think, you know, one of the biggest awakenings, you know, for me was, uh, wow got this other dude here and uh, totally responsible for it. And it kind of changes everything. Yeah. I didn't realize how much free time I actually had before <laughs> I had right. kids. Mm-hmm. So true. Like I, I used to always, I was like, Oh man, like oh, I'm so busy. I got all these things going on. And then I look back now, I'm like, Holy cow. I had all the time in the world. I think that Mm -hmm. all the time, especially two months in, just little things that I did every day back then. I think to myself, maybe next Wednesday, possibly, if I get lucky. It's crazy. What surprised you most, Ryan? Surprising for me, I think two things primarily. One I was told about, one I don't think I I talked a lot about ahead of time, but Everybody says you're going to have a kid and time is just going to kick into hyperspeed. And you hear that, but until you actually start experiencing it, you just, you cannot fathom how quick time starts to move because, you know, again, it was what, 60 days. I think I said it's Mm -hmm. eight and a half weeks. And I, I don't, I don't know how it happened. I think he was born like eight days ago and it's scary a little bit because you you think, Oh my God, if two months can go that fast, 18 years can probably go that fast too. So I think, again, I knew to expect that, but I didn't realize that just from one day to the next, I mean, it just, your whole concept of time changes because it just moves so much faster. And then the other thing is I think you go through pregnancy with your wife and you think so much about like, okay, I'm going to be this type of dad. And you spend so much time thinking, all right, I'm going to be this type of husband. But what you don't think about, and I don't feel like a lot of people talk about is how fun it is to watch your spouse become a parent as well. Because again, like the concept of it for me was very much centered on like, okay, well, you know, again, I'm going to be this type of husband to her and she'll be this kind of wife to me. But for some reason, I hadn't thought a lot about what kind of mom she would be to Joe. And that has brought me a ton of joy just seeing how much she's fallen in love with him. And for us, we, we've always been a couple that spends a lot of quality time together. So I was fearful of, of losing that um, when we had him, which, of course, we have to a degree. But you don't realize that a lot of that is replaced with, with a joy that you see in becoming them become a parent as well. I hadn't thought of that one before. That's a good perspective. I guess it was really neat watching Wit become a mom. I mean, it was one of the many, many reasons why, you know, I wanted to spend my life with Whitney is because I thought she would be a great mom, but really but neat to see it pers- manifest itself. Yeah, and this person that, that you know better than anybody in the world, and they know you better than anybody in the world, but you don't know them like that because they've never been that. And it's the same thing, yeah. vice versa. So it just opens this whole new door that, that you didn't have the chance to open before. Well, Lauren, you have the the view of the hyperspeed comment Ryan made earlier because all your kids are in, the, in their 30s. yeah. Certainly, that was one of the things I was going to save for another one of your uh, talking points. But yeah, time does fly. And I'll bring that up again, you know, in the uh, advice to new dads section. But uh, I'd I'd like to piggyback on 
kind of what both of y'all said about seeing your spouses become moms and the joy, you know, that I, I don't remember necessarily feeling that, or I just don't remember uh, what that was like 37 years ago, you know, when, when our first was born, but I did get to experience that again with Whitney becoming a mom. Very cool to see what kind of mom she would be. And also look, you know, looking forward to that with Allie as well. Yeah. And then in terms of me from a surprise standpoint, this one's probably a little bit more serious, but I did, I shared this with Ryan before he had a kid is I expected, okay, like we're creating this new human. It's gonna be like getting a puppy. I'm gonna love this thing from day one. It's gonna be awesome. I didn't have an immediate bond with my child, with any of them. It wasn't like, like, of course I love them. If you ask me if I love them, yes, of course I love them. Whitney had the immediate bond. I think part of that is who she is. I think another part is like the fit literal physical connection she has and that raising the kid for nine months and then, uh, or, you know, in, in her, in the womb and then being the sole source of food. And it took a long time for me to get that bond with any of my three kids. And I love my kids to death, but it wasn't until like they were kind of becoming more than just a blob that I started to like actually naturally feel things towards them. And that really surprised me. I was like, I kind of felt like, man, am I something wrong with me? Like, do I just not have a heart? I've talked to other dads who have had similar experiences, you know, all to varying degrees. So it kind of gave me comfort in that maybe I'm not a psychopath, but it did surprise me that I didn't have that immediate bond. So hmm. I'd like to tack on to that a little bit. So the reason that wasn't a surprise for me is because you told me about it. I was definitely one that reached out to like a billion people. So like, tell me what I need to know. Tell me what I need to know. I've always just assumed that people who have been through it probably know more than me. And I think you can attest that I probably asked you 8 billion questions. Um, I think I asked you 50 times more than anybody else, but that was a concern I had, you know, it's like, I, 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 you're going to bring this baby in and you know, you're going to love it, but all it's going to do for the first couple of months is scream at you and use the bathroom a lot. Um, and not allow you, you know, to sleep. Yeah. I mean, when they sleep on your chest, it's the best thing ever, but I don't know. I, I, to me, when he was born it instantly would have taken a bullet for him, you know, instantly knew that I loved him as much as anything in the entire world. But I'd be lying if I said there was some like insanely tight bond right off the bat. The switch started to flip for me a couple of weeks ago when he started smiling because I started getting some feedback. And all of a sudden, you know, just him showing a level of, of happiness at my presence just increases that bond so much. And yeah, because like that, the puppy is like wagging their tail and they're going, yeah, they're going exactly. after, like the it's like immediate. Yeah. Correct. But you get they no like feedback you. and, and, and then I see to your point, Ryan, like I see like my wife getting no sleep and uh, struggling at moments with like different things and like, you know, just battling through every day to just be sane and try mm. and keep this baby alive while I'm like sitting there, like I can't feed you and right. I can like change your diapers and that's about it. And you're giving me nothing, bro. <laughs> right. And I, I, so, I've told yeah. Benita a hundred times and I've told other people, like I am very well aware that the burden of pregnancy and those first few months is far more on the mother than the father, a hundred times harder. The only thing that I think is a little bit easier for them is, is that initial bond. And it's because of the nine months. It's because of the breastfeeding. If, if, women are lucky enough to do it. And, um, you know, again, I feel bonded with my child, but I, it'd be a lie if I said I felt as bonded as Benita. Um, so I think it probably is normal for men. And I'm, I'm glad you gave me that advice ahead of time. And I'd want any other prospective father to know that too. Does that ring any bells for you, Lauren? Do you, you recall that at all? Yeah. I mean, those are great comments for sure. I've, I've felt it actually with the grandkids. I see the bond that they've formed with grandma, you know, she's been around them a lot more, but and it's taken them longer, I think, or for them to be a little bit older to 
want to hang around or, you know, do things with grandpa. Um, you know, so yeah, I, I get that with my own, uh, we were lucky enough to, you know, Nancy to be a stay at home mom. And so, yeah, she, you know, she spent a lot more of the time with them than I did, but yeah, definitely they were older before there was uh, a really a good connection. But I, th I thought of one other thing I want to throw in here and you can uh, put this wherever it makes the most sense, but along the idea of surprises, one of my biggest surprises came, and I think I've told this story to you before, Clay, I don't know about you, Ryan, but with the second child and, you know, I was always a big in the, in the nature versus nurture thing. You know, I was more of a nurture guy and I'm thinking, okay, round two, we'll do the same thing we do with round one with, that we did with round one. And we'll have kids that pretty much behave the same and uh, have maybe similar personalities or whatever. And I was so wrong. It's definitely on the side of uh, nature on this one. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think you've seen that uh, clay with yours, but uh, yeah, it's amazing. Genetics are a funny thing and uh, you can have them all raised in the same house and same parents, same rules, same teaching, right from wrong, love them all the same. But yeah, you end up with uh, three unique individuals for sure. Yeah. I know I've got that brewing in my household, no doubt about it. Yeah. And that was, that was a big surprise for me. I don't, I don't know why I assumed they would all be clones of each other, but uh, they're not. All right, let's start with the, the guy who's 60 days in. What about your life changed the most? I think the easy answers are the obvious answers. I mean, you, you're going to sleep a lot less, just are. Um, you know, and I, I've been pretty fortunate. You know, Benita's, on, especially on work nights, she, she pretty much takes care of it because she's still on maternity leave. Um, but you're going to sleep less, just part of the deal. Um, it, life gets a lot more full of joy, but it also gets a whole lot harder. Um, so all, all of those were fairly expected. Uh, the biggest one, though, I, I would say from a challenge perspective is is that I do get to spend a lot less quality time with, with Benita. <laughs> For better or worse, we've always been a couple that doesn't go out a lot and just spends a lot of time on the couch together. And I cannot tell you how many nights in the last month we've said, okay, you know, we'll put them down at blank o'clock tonight. We'll make sure to get an hour, hour and a half in on the couch. And it just doesn't happen a lot of nights because something happens, you know, he needs a bath, he needs whatever else. And I think probably every married couple that, um, that goes through this can attest to the, the changing relationship. And yeah, it doesn't mean it's not backfilled with other joys. Like I talked about earlier, but you know, I, I again, outside of the very obvious answers, you sleep less, you're, you're busier. Um, that that's the one that I would say on a day to day has changed the most. It's just that ability to spend quality time with your wife because that free time just doesn't exist anymore. The one that I put down was prioritization. So basically learning how to simplify my life, our family's life around the things that mattered the most. And that was a big adjustment because I was involved in so many things, even after, you know, kid number one, there was still a lot of things that we were doing. There were things that we were involved with places we wanted to go, people we wanted to see. And you just can't do everything and, and spend and have like the quality time with your family and raise your kid in the way you want to raise them, at least in my personal view. So it was the adjustment over time was how do we prioritize the people we spend time with the things that we're doing and just simplify our lives around those things versus trying to do everything. Yeah. I, I would say that, uh, I was a very, a lot of extracurricular activities, uh, a lot of sports played everything I could. And, you know, with each child had to dial that back more and more. But it's funny, even the things that I continued to play, whether they were softball, basketball, whatever, the kids, you know, they ended up going to the games, just like I ended up going to their games when they were little, they'd go to daddy's games, you know, and sit there in the stands with their dinner or their snack. And it was a family outing. But 
Ryan, I liked your comment about uh, the quality time with your wife. Dad definitely gets shuffled down in the pecking order. Hopefully you're not below the dog, but you might be. Um, <laughs> I'm probably doing most things. <laughs> and a uh, little bit of advice here before we even get to the advice section. But yeah, uh, keep nurturing that relationship because uh, before you know it, yeah, like you said, 18 years, 20 years will go by and it's like, okay, the kid leaves home and okay, now I got to get to know my wife again yeah. because we really haven't you know, it's been all about the kids. Mm-hmm. So that's, uh, that's good to keep in mind. Great advice. What seemed like a big deal at the time, but turns out wasn't. And I'm going to, I'm going to say that you guys are really good at this, but, uh, you Ryan, and I mean, uh, Clay and Whitney, but, uh, you know, with the first one, especially you might tend to be a, a little over helicopter helicopter uh a little over worried about everything you know spazzing uh out about the littlest thing oh my god the baby's got a runny nose quick let's rush it to the hospital it's funny we had a we had a pediatrician back in the day and i don't even know why we chose this one must have been referred uh, recommended by somebody else but this guy was so laid back it's like you know of course seen a million babies and he was perfect for us. It's fine. He'll be fine. Don't worry about it. So learn it to just be more chill. Most things will be fine. Um, you know, we're, we're flipping through Dr. Spock. You guys probably don't even know who Dr. Spock is, but it was the baby book of the day. I'm dating myself and, you know, trying to figure out, or we're calling our parents. What do we do about this? Oh my God, the baby's got a rash on its butt, you know, or whatever. So yeah, just, I guess just realizing that it's, it's going to be fine and everything's not uh, as big a deal as you might think it is. There's all this pressure, especially now, like to have everything, every piece of gear, every read all, every single book, make sure that they're breathing, have heart monitors and breathing monitors and know they're oxygen levels. I mean, just like you could go completely overboard and it's easy to get sucked into that. Cause it's this thing that your wife just cared for, for nine months. And now it's living in your house. And literally your one job as a parent is to keep it alive. And there's all these things that could help it, keep it alive or say that they can basically, I mean, that's what it boils down to is there, it's like, almost taking advantage of the fact that you have to keep this baby alive. So spend money to do that. Oh, you don't want to spend money on your baby to keep them alive. So like, it's kind of piggybacking on what you said, but everything will be okay. Whitney actually said it really well in the podcast I did with her when we talked about kind of us parenting where she was like, when you're in it, it seems like forever. But when you look back on it, it seems like it was no time at all. Like if you're in a a phase where they're not sleeping, it seems like it's, you've never slept in your life. And then you look back on it and I don't even remember any of those times or, you know, any of that. The line I read that said that best was the days are long, but the years are short. There it is. Yeah. So what seemed like a big deal at the time for you, but turns out wasn't Ryan, you got, you're going to have a different perspective here. Cause yeah, everything for me so far was in the first week. Luckily, um, the first night he had to stay in the special care unit which is not the NICU to be clear, but it's just because his body temperature was a little low. So I think it was very precautionary, but when it's the first night your baby's been alive and it has to be in a special care unit, it's pretty stress inducing. Sure. Um, So that, that sucked, but again, probably not that big of a deal in the grand scheme of things. Uh, The other one to mention, and I, I want any, person who's about to be a father to know this babies breathe when they're newborn somewhat irregularly you know they'll they'll like breathe four really quick times and then it's like they just won't move or breathe for 10 seconds sometimes and the first week of his life i found that terrifying i was freaking out all the time like like breathe dude breathe and he's, he's totally fine. Of course he's fine. And seven days in, 
I haven't thought about it since. And I, I'd say that's probably just a rite of passage as a first-time parent, but uh, but I, I will encourage any any future first-time father to understand that they don't breathe like we do. And if there are stretches where they're not breathing like you think they maybe should be, it's probably okay. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, it probably happened to me. This is why it's so good to have three different perspectives because I don't recall that happening, but I bet it did. We'll have plenty of other stuff to freak out over coming up soon. I mean, you know, we're we haven't dealt with first sickness or first broken bone or anything, so our moments will come. I'm sure. So this one's really for me and Lauren around what seemed like a small deal at the time, but turns out was major. So this is the inverse of what we just talked about, and I'll share mine first. It's kind of a funny one. So I'm a lefty. I love sports, and. I was like, my firstborn is going to be pro in something that is sports. Like, it's just going to happen. I'm just, this is, this is his destiny. Woody and I are both good athletes. He's going to have Lauren's height. He's going to have grandpa's height just out of sheer will and not the average height that both his parents are. And how can he have any advantage in, in sports? What can I control? I can control that he's going to be a lefty. It's going to happen. So literally, any right when he started being able to grab stuff, I would hand it to his left hand. I wouldn't even let him grab it with his right hand. I would just keep handing to his left hand. And I did that with anything, fork, spoon, food, toothbrush, like whatever it was. When he started to learn how to throw, it was like, you know, dude, throw with your left hand, throw with your left hand. And... Fast forward to he's six and a half now. And I think I've kind of messed him up. (laughs) (laughs) I think like back to the nature nurture thing with Lauren. I think nurture, I was all in on, on lefty, but nature, I think wanted him to be a righty. (laughs) And so now he's just all sorts of confused. Like he writes with his left hand, but he's starting to throw better with his right hand. He's brushing his teeth with his right hand. Like he's doing a lot more stuff with his right hand. So maybe it'll pan out to be fine or maybe it won't even matter because maybe he won't be super into sports. But that was kind of a small deal at the time, which I think may may have an impact in his future athletic career, whatever it may be. This is also coming from a lefty who plays golf righty. Correct. So I'm already messed up. And that was also to my dad. So I have a little bit of that in my mind because my dad didn't even think about it when he was teaching me how to swing a baseball bat. He was, he taught me how to swing righty because he was a righty and he realized it too late. And obviously I was like smashing homers as a six-year-old. So, you know, what, what, what was he really going to change that? Yeah, now I swing everything righty. So I've, I, yeah. So I, I guess basically it was just, just destiny. I just heard that you're upholding family traditions. That's all. I <laughs> there it is. Reframed perfectly. <laughs> Lauren, what seemed like a small deal at the time, but turned out was major. For me, not realizing up as much as I should have early on, just the impact that you have on the kid's life as a role model you know, and that they're watching everything you do. And, you know, had I, and I'm not sure I would have done anything different, but I don't think I realized it as early on as, uh, as I would like to have. Yeah. I think probably downplayed that some as a young dad and realized now and and at some point that that was a they're watching everything and i have a a story to go along with that that's pretty funny and it's not from it's from when i was a kid and has to do with my dad but what made me realize that or when i thought back on this story when i was six seven years old you know you're having a race with your dad and of course dad is faster and my dad had um polio when he was little. And as a result, one of his legs was underdeveloped, less developed than the other one. And so he ran with kind of a gallop, but because he was faster and he was my hero, me and my brother both ran with gallops to run like dad. 
so that we could be fast like dad. And obviously that was not the way to run, but dad ran that way because it was the only way he could run. <laughs> but that's just the kind of impact a dad has on a little kid. That's such and... a good story. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> I thought where you were going to go, not with the story, but before, but you were talking about how your kids used to go watch you play all these sports as they were growing up. And maybe you could have yelled at the ref a few less times. For sure. Yeah, for sure. That was, uh, I mean, I've seen, I've seen Allie and Whitney both yell at the TV about certain things in sports. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. They probably learned from Nancy. No, they probably learned that at home. Yeah, for sure. Did you coach Lauren? Yes. How many texts did you get? I'm not sure I ever got right. teed up. Okay. To, to, so that was good. There were some tough, tough times. Yeah, I've got some, some heartbreaking stories with the kids, and and some, you know, some good ones where they, you know, hit the winning shot. So, hey Ryan, what's your statistic about technical fouls? Oh, why you got to bring that up? My mom. <laughs> you were the one this. that brought it up. <laughs> this is, yeah, this is like the one thing my mom's probably really ashamed of me. Since at least high school, maybe junior high, I don't know. I've never played a year or season of organized basketball without a technical. I, I think at 28 or maybe even 32, 33, I thought that was pretty funny. I'm a little more embarrassed of it now but also a little bit proud. <laughs> <laughs> and you didn't have any of your kids watching at least. No, true. You, as far you could as have been know, influencing never, others though. No, as, as far as my children will know, I never got a technical. I, was I mean, that's like, you know, you as a young golfer or teenage golfer, you throw clubs, but you learn that that's really not what you're supposed to do. Not what you need. I, I was about 37 when I realized that. Uh, but you didn't start playing golf till 35. So I'll give you a pass. I had to get the hard days out of the way. Yeah. We've talked a lot about the humans that are involved in raising a child. So the mom, yourself, the child. So I kind of want to go through each of those people in the best way that you can support each of those from your perspective. So we'll start with the partner, the spouse. What's the best way you guys have found during any phase of, of, of fatherhood that you, or the childhood that you want to refer to what's the best way to support your partner or your spouse? I'll say three things primarily. Number one is I have always, I think I'm pretty much a yes dear kind of guy, but I've kind of kicked yes dear into overdrive. Benita is breastfeeding. So she's, she's just spending most of her time with baby right now. Um, So if she asked me for something, I just do it. I've also tried to really pick up few extra chores here and there. Anita and I have always had what's called our equitable distribution of labor. Um, so we basically just kind of nailed down what jobs we didn't mind doing and which ones we hated. And we figured that way, if we know what our jobs are, we'll never resent each other for not doing what we're supposed to or not doing work because we know what we're supposed to do. But I'm just trying to pick up the slack on some other stuff as well. And then the third thing, and, and I'm going to hit on this a couple times today, just because I think this has been a big part of it, of parenting for me, but I've just really tried to be proactive with Joe. It was some advice I got that I thought was wonderful is that so many guys, um, you know, that their body's not changing, their, their life isn't changing for those nine months. So when the baby comes, they're like, oh my God, what do I do? And what ends up happening in extension of that is to ask mom, what do I do? And it's not mom's responsibility to teach you how to be a parent. So I just try to be as proactive with po- as possible with him. So, you know, if he needs a diaper change, I just go do it. If it looks like he's sleepy, I try to get him to sleep. I don't, I'm, I'm not looking to her to coach me on every little activity. Um, and I think that's helped us stay in a much more harmonious stage of, of what can be a pretty stressful first couple of months. That's really good advice and something I wish I had before because I was bad. My instinct was, Hey, Whit, do you want me to do this? What do you want me to do here? It was just my like natural instinct. And I'm sure she was pretty over it. To be fair, I think most guys that do that think they're doing the right things. I, I think they're asking with the right intentions. Hey, you're the expert. Like, you know this better right. than I do. <laughs> so. Right. 
guide I want to make you happy. So you tell me what to do. The problem is what they don't want to do is tell you what to do. Yeah. They want you to know what they want you to know what you should be doing. Yeah, for sure. Some obvious answers, you know, help out as much uh, as you can. Uh, Nancy breastfed as well. We didn't have the baby in the bedroom with us after like one week. I mean, I was pretty adamant about that. Just take it over to the nursery and the crib and stuff. But I would get up, you know, if the, if it was the baby started crying, it was time to feed. I would at least get up, go get it, bring the baby to Nancy, try, you know, to help out there, trying to get the baby to sleep. Definitely take a shift there. That's a very frustrating time when the baby won't sleep. And in the middle of the night and it's crying and you don't know why. All right, let's get in the car seat and drive around town in the middle of the night. You know, let's try anything or we're going to sit in this rocking chair uh, until we both fall asleep. So just trying to do that stuff and, you know, picking, picking up extra chores, uh, watching the baby while while she goes out to do something for herself or even just go do the shopping, you know, so she doesn't have to have the kid or kids with her. So things like that. That was my answer too, was encouraging them to go spend their own time by themselves or whatever, get their space, continue with their interests, whatever those interests are. Even if it's, I'm just going to go sit at a Starbucks and drink a coffee in peace, or I want to go take a walk around the neighborhood, or I want to go to the gym, or I want to go have wine with my friends, whatever. Encouraging that because the natural instinct of what I found most moms in my life is to self-sacrifice for a long time and do what's in the best interest of the child and not what's in the best interest of them. And I kind of have felt that I, I needed to overemphasize and like over encourage the act of going and doing stuff for themselves, for herself, you know, Whitney specifically. And so I think, you know, everyone's different, but that would be my advice on supporting a spouse. I also think it's easier when people are able to keep hold of their interests, probably just going to make you a better parent too. I mean, again, I'm newer to this, but I, I just can't imagine like giving up everything else I enjoyed. I would never want Benita to do that. That's why I still encourage her to go climb all the time. I think that's how you end up resenting your station in life is when you give up everything. And again, it's not meant to say that the child shouldn't be priority one, two, and three, but I also don't think it means you give up everything else in the process. Yeah. And I, I'd like to add to some adult interaction they're spending 20 hours a day talking to the kids then uh, having some adult time whether it's with dad or friends i think is is good that's a big one too i remember multiple times where i spend all my day doing what you guys do at work which is talk to people talk to adults all day deal with problems, deal with people. So when I finish work, the last thing I want to do is like talk about problems and about, and to adults, it's like, I just wanted like a little bit of space because that's all I did all day where the complete opposite was happening with Whitney, where she was talking to a one-year-old all day or a three-year-old all day. And all she wanted was to talk to an adult. And so recognizing that that's a great call out Lauren, because I recall multiple instances where we were just completely on opposite pages and did not realize it. Yeah. So how do you support yourself? Yeah, I think that's, that's easier. Uh, it was easier for me. Again, I had, I had the escape of the office. So that was easier. Again, might've had a game that day, something like that. And even, and because I was away all day at work, when I got home, you know, I looked forward to dad time. She was ready to hand off and I was ready to take the hand off, get my couple hours in with the kids before bed or bath or homework or depending on whatever age they were. So I think that was, that was easier, certainly easier 
for me to support myself and stay in a healthy place, mind-wise or whatever. How about you, Ryan? About a month in, and I think this will piggyback a couple of things I said earlier, but about a month in, I remember Benita and I were on a walk. And I remember feeling unreasonable because I was frustrated when I was, and the reason I felt unreasonable is because I knew how much more she was doing than I was. But I just, I felt really burned out. And it's because I'd wake up and from that moment until I went to bed, all I ever thought about was what can I do around the house? What can I, I got to worry about with work and you know, what do I need to be doing for Joe? And I think those are noble things to do, but you still have to, to worry a little bit about yourself in the process. And I told Benita on a walk, I was like, I need to figure out a way to start just having a little bit more me time. And even though I, you know, I'm with people all day, I'm a big relationship guy. I have an introverted side. Like I definitely recharge on my own. So for me, what, what I found is, you know, it's not like I'm going to play golf three times a week or anything like that. It just kind of went back to what you said, Clay, about reprioritizing your time. So if there was that 30 minutes that normally would have been me sitting on my phone at work, I just go sit outside somewhere and I just kind of let my brain be quiet for a little while and just being diligent about giving yourself that space, that mental headspace to kind of detach from everything else refreshes my batteries enough to where I want to then jump back into those things that had been wearing me down. Um, and other people probably recharge in other ways, but just allowing yourself to make sure that you're recharging enough to then jump back in and enjoy the process of being a parent as opposed to allowing it to drive you into the ground. Yeah. Continuing your hobbies, whatever they are, you're not going to be able to probably do all of them if you also want to be a good dad, but prioritize the ones that you really care about and be diligent about doing those. What was and the hardest thing for you to give up? I played a lot of flag football. That's what I figured. And that was very time consuming because we were doing tournaments and practices and traveling and all of that. And it, it just, it's a lot of fun, but it was, it was the most time consuming thing. And if I wanted to be able to still play other things like basketball and golf and pickleball that are small commutes, not as intense and <clears throat> have flexibility, unfortunately flag kind of, I still play occasionally, but it's not to the level I was doing before. So that was the biggest one. So pour one out for flag football. <laughs> the other thing that comes to mind with this conversation is, especially now with remote work, I, I've been a remote worker for a decade. There were times when I would have like a really stressful, busy day. And my last call would end right as dinner was happening and walk in and like my mind was still on work. My mind was still on all the things that had happened that day. I hadn't decompressed at all. I didn't have a commute home that like allowed me to decompress. And I would just go straight to the dinner table basically. And Whitney has spent all day with the kids. She's made dinner and I'm like in this other world completely. And what it looks like to my family is that I'm upset with them or just, or, you know, completely distracted when really I needed to give myself like 10 minutes, 15 minutes of just whatever that is, go sit outside. Like you were talking about Ryan sit down, go on a quick walk, do a quick exercise, whatever it is. And over time, like after talking to Whitney about this a lot, because it happened frequently enough that it was like, Hey, like something needs to change when you have these busy days. And we realized I just needed that whatever, 10 minute, 15 minute. And this is probably not like even a dad or parent thing. It's just like a general decompress thing. I remember actually talking to Benita on the pod about this with her work because she has such a intense work with being in the ICU that having that commute home is her decompress time basically and is much needed for her to kind of compartmentalize. So that, that was another supporting myself, which then positively hopefully impacts the family too. Well, what's funny about you saying that is in the years that Benita and I spent talking about you know, should we or shouldn't we in regards to children? I always told her the one thing I was most scared about, and this is such a silly answer, it seems like, but the thing I was most scared about 
was the 30 minutes after work. The whole concept of parenting, that was what I was most concerned with because I've always been someone who needed that little block of time. So I totally get where you're coming from. And I, I think I'll be the same way when, especially as they age, it's just giving, give, I think even that little separation of the mental leaving work and then joining the family is is pretty important. So we've covered the mom, the partner, the spouse, we've covered ourselves. So now it's the child. So what are the most important actions you can do with a toddler, an infant as a dad? I'll start on this one. I, I think for me, it's just being present as much as possible. Clay and I, you've talked about this. We've talked about this so much over the years and, and not in regards to parenting, but just in general about how being present is kind of a superpower. It's so hard to do because we're just conditioned to think about what's coming up, what we've already done, what we need to be doing, that it's very hard to live in the moment. And I really want to be able to do that as much as possible with kids because I think it's going to make that whole process more fulfilling, more joyous. I think the, the kids are going to feel that, especially as they get older and more aware. They're going to notice if you're not thinking about them, if you're off you know, some daydream or your phone or whatever else. I also want to be present because I've told Benita this, like I understand that again, parent or children, especially when they're younger, are going to be a little more comfortable around mom, but I don't want to be one of those dads where like I have to hand the baby or the child to mom every time the kid's upset. I want the kid to feel safe with me too. Um, you can't do that when you're not with them, like really with them when, when, when they're going through it. Yeah. I mean, I, I was going to say the same thing, be present, uh, but present for me is slightly different what you were just talking about. I mean, yes, there's physically present. I mean, when my kids were little, there weren't all the electronic distractions that there are now. And um, we had some Nintendo game system or something like that. Mike might've had when he was little, probably still have it, but play with the kids, just be there as much as you can. I mean, I, and I tell a lot of young dads this, unless I was out of town, I was at the game. If I had to leave the office at three o'clock, four o'clock, whatever, that was fine. You know, I took leadership roles on their teams, whether it was coaching or booster club or whatever, you know, they knew that I was involved in their stuff. Yeah. Avoid your phone when you're with them. Cause they see it. I've, I've been called out. I'm, I feel like I'm pretty good for the demographic that I'm in about my phone, but I get called out by my kids sometimes about dad, you're on the phone, right? Like dad, you're not listening to me, <laughs> but in terms of actions and important actions you can do, like it actually happened today. You know, I was talking about the bond that for me just develops at a later stage, like more the five months, six months, seven month old. And that's about where my youngest is now. And a lot of that bond starts to happen with that feedback. <clears throat> but one of the actions I start doing now is, um, is reading to them, even though they can't, I mean, obviously they can't read themselves and they're not really, they don't really know what they're looking at, but it's active. It's something that they typically enjoy. You get feedback, they laugh, they're pointing at things, they're touching things. And so you and if they're, you know, sitting on your lap, you get kind of the physical bond, but you also get the mental bond with them as well as they're, as you're reading to them. And as a dad, that has proven itself over the three kids. Like that's, I think where my bond started with all three of my kids is sitting in a chair, just the two of us being as present as possible and reading like multiple books and doing that over and over and over again. And that's, that's where I definitely found that bond. So for me, that, that was a pretty important action. Yeah, I know uh, <laughs> your family is uh, big Harry Potter fans, the kids. And, you know, that series has got some age on it now. In fact, I read it to Allie when she was little. Whitney was old enough to read it to herself. Allie probably was too, but we enjoyed uh, reading the story together. And in fact, uh, you know, there's a kind of a famous thing within the family that I was mispronouncing Hermione's name for the first couple books or until the first movie came out and we learned the correct way to say it. But, uh, yeah, uh, it was, was Hermione. Incorrect. 
<laughs> Hermione. <laughs> Harry, well, Ron, and Hermione. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we didn't know any different. It's hilarious. Doesn't have quite the uh, same ring to it. No, sure doesn't. <laughs> I think we've kind of weaved in some advice throughout the way, but I'll start with mine. So I have two kind of questions. They're pretty similar, but the first is what's the one piece of advice you were very thankful for getting? And the one I was really thankful for getting was from my brother's wife's mother. So my brother's mother-in-law, she was telling me a story one time about how her dad never once raised his voice. And she was basically breaking down in tears as to how much that meant to her that throughout her entire childhood, that she never heard her dad raise his voice. And she told me this about four and a half years ago, five years ago. So Hayes was a little over one when she told me this. And I, I don't think I had raised my voice to a one-year-old. And I vowed at, at that time that I would not do it. I would not ever raise my voice with my kids. And I pretty sure I have never done it. We're six and a half years in and I've never raised my voice with my kids. I've been frustrated. (laughs) I have been upset. I have lacked patience, but I've never raised my voice. So I was very thankful for that because I think I'm hopeful that that could mean just as much to them. I want them when they're whatever, 55 years old to be sitting there telling someone how much that meant to them. I think that's amazing. I also yeah. want to set realistic goals for myself. So <laughs> <laughs> that won't be one of mine. Coming from the man who's had a technical at every season. <laughs> hey, you knew me 10 years ago and you know me now. You know that I am a 4 billion times more mellow individual. It's pretty rare I get upset anymore, but I, to, to think I'm going to be able to go 18 years, <laughs> I think that's asking a little bit much of myself. I'm just going to echo what I said earlier, being proactive with the baby. I got a lot of great advice. Again, I'm, for those that don't know, I'm 38 years old. So I was really the last of my friends to have a kid. My sisters both have kids. We've gotten to witness a lot and we've gotten a lot of the same advice over and over and, and it's all great. But that was the one that I didn't get a lot of, you know, it's only a couple of guys that mentioned that. And I just found that it made such a big difference. Um, It made me feel more invested in in him, hopefully allowed him to to be a little more bonded with me. But the the biggest one is just your your spouse is really going to appreciate it because they're going through all the same life changes you are in some ways, even more abrupt, in a lot of ways more abrupt. And I think anything we can do as dads to smooth out that adjustment so that they can worry about themselves and the baby instead of themselves, you and the baby, it, it just goes a really long way. Yeah, that's good, Ryan. Certainly a big one is, and we've mentioned it already, is time flies and it really does go by fast and it seems to get faster and faster the older you get. So I know the first 60 days has gone by quickly for you, Ryan, and, and hopefully, you know, the next six years slows down a little bit or 16, but, um, you know, so because of that, do everything, be there the whole time, eat it up. I mean, don't miss a game, just do everything you possibly can, because again, and this is depressing to say, but before long that, you know, there won't be any more games to go to. And, you know, there's no guidebook on how to be a dad. You can't say this podcast gets released. That's right. (laughs) And and you can't say there's no right or wrong way. Certainly there would be some wrong things to do, but, uh, but you won't do them if you listen to this podcast. (laughs) Love them as hard as you can teach them right from wrong. Not sure you can do a whole lot more than that. It's your biggest piece of advice, Clay. The work will always be there. The childhood won't. I believe so wholeheartedly in that concept, but my dad, you know, a lot of listeners will probably know, like Lauren, my dad's not here. And look back and and so many of the lessons that 
Um, I hope to teach her from him. I was incredibly lucky. But I remember in his last days, there was a hospice nurse that was working there. And those people, I mean, they are just wonderful people for what they do. But she looked at me and she said, you know, in all these years of doing this, I've never heard one person say, I wish I had worked more. And that comment just stuck with me. This individual who's probably shepherded thousands of people out of this world, not one time did somebody say, I wish I had worked more. So I think you're pretty spot on there. Mine is just to cherish each stage as much as possible. I think this is advice I'm hoping to live up to as much as anything at this point, but we've been just long enough to start to see the, the benefits of it. Being 38, having spoken to so many other parents and learning what we want to incorporate and what we don't, we, we've heard a lot of parents. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with this, but we've just heard a lot of parents say, oh, we can't wait until. Can't wait until they're you know out of diapers. You can't wait until they go to school. You can't wait till blah, blah, blah. And again, I get it. I think that's a perfectly human reaction to having kids. But at the same time, like we, we very much want to try to cherish each stage as much as we, we possibly can. The newborn stage, you know, in the last 60 days, newborn stage was really hard, but I loved it and, um, you know, hated it sometimes too, but loved it. And 60 days passed and, you know, I like this stage better. It's more fun. It's more rewarding. He's got more personality. Uh, diaper changes aren't as frustrating, but it doesn't mean that the first stage wasn't awesome too. So we really just want to try to capture that as much as we possibly can, understanding that that every phase is not going to last that long anyway. Yeah, man, savor it, savor all of it as best as possible. You know, one of the changes that came with being a dad was being more serious. You've got this new responsibility now. So we, we were just talking about work, that it's not that important, but you do have to pay the bills. And now you have a child uh, that you have to raise till they're 18 and maybe send to college and all that kind of stuff. So I think you end up, you know, taking that responsibility uh, a little bit more seriously and, uh, and you know, and the, uh, the responsibility to provide. It doesn't mean you work in lieu of parenting, but that's, I think, something I remember happening to me with uh, starting a family. It's a tough balance yeah. um, to find that. And you kind of figure it out along the way is what I've found. Mm -hmm. But if you prioritize the right things, like you were saying earlier about, Hey, like if the thing is for you, I'm not going to miss a game. If I'm in town, I'm not missing a game. And you just set that expectation. And it may mean that, Hey, I'm getting to work at six thirty AM or I'm and after the kids go to bed a couple nights a week or whatever, but that your priority is this and you stick with that one, it kind of becomes a habit. And two, the people at your work or in your life realize that's part of your identity. That's right. who you are. So they're not going to challenge it. They're just like this. Yeah. I know Lauren's going to go, but I also re recognize he's going to get his work done too. Right. Yeah. I think that's, uh, that sums everything up for, for today. I'm really grateful for both of you guys being on sharing the unique perspectives that you guys have being open, honest, truthful about what it's like to be a dad and, Hopefully someone out there will get some sort of inspiration, love, advice from it. Maybe had a couple laughs along the way, but grateful for you guys. Grateful for me being able to lean on you guys as a dad and, and as friends and lucky to have you both in my life and appreciate you guys carving out time to not only be on this pod, but think about the questions beforehand and, and put real thought into it that, that really came out today. So happy to be here. Um, and the one last piece of advice I'll give is ask for advice. So much of what I have incorporated into my parenting is, is answers I've gotten from you and from other dads who have been through it. So ask everybody, you know, and you can cherry pick what you want to use and what you don't, but there's just so many perspectives that you develop as a parent that you just can't before. And if you can do get a little cheat sheet and get some of that information ahead of time, it's only going to help. Yeah. I, 
I would agree with that, Ryan. I think, in fact, that's a good general philosophy is not being afraid to ask uh, about anything, not just parenting. You can even ask for directions uh, or where to find something in the grocery store. <laughs> or how to build the Ikea furniture. <laughs> that's, that's right. Whatever you need. Somebody yeah, yeah. probably knows. Appreciate you having us, Clay. Love Same you here. both. Thanks, Clay. Love you, man. We're out. Love you, too. Hey, listener, it's Clay. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Build with Clay podcast. I encourage you to subscribe wherever you listen so you can discover all the episodes and hear from others about their growth journey. If you know me at all, you know that I love feedback. So please rate the episode and provide your comments so I can grow and be better for you and our guests. For more content, you can find Build with Clay on Instagram at Build with Clay. And head to claydavis.substack.com where you can sign up for a bi-weekly newsletter sent directly to your inbox. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you're inspired to grow.